0: Welcome to Conversational Leadership, Episode 2, with your host, Jay Mann, Superintendent of Creighton School District. Today we're going to talk about developing relationships at work. When we look at the 90-day entry plan that we talked about in our last episode, one of the focuses is on building resilience. And one of the sub-factors within building resilience is to have increased staff mental health supports. One of the best mental health supports that we can provide ourselves is through our relationships and our friendships. One of the things that really helps nourish and feed us as human beings are those healthy relationships that we have. And there's a lot of a lot of background work and a lot of study that shows that one of the things that um, team members can really benefit from is having what's often referred to as a best friend at work. They used to refer to it as having a friend at work. And really in recent years, they focused more in on that concept of it being a best friend at work. And so you may, you know, you may have that already, or you may think to yourself, well, wait, I don't have a best friend at at work yet. Um, And that's something that, you know, definitely would would benefit you if you have it. Uh, My advice after you've listened to this podcast is go thank that other person for being kind enough to be your best friend at work. Uh, check in with them. Um, if you don't have that, I'd say it's really a huge opportunity to try to find somebody that you get along with, um, feel like you're developing a relationship with, and check in with them um, and say, "Hey, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do as as a member of the team is build stronger relationships, and um, I'd like to build a stronger relationship with you." The um, Gallup research that's out there really focuses on the impact on the organization that having a best best friend at work provides. And um, from that Gallup work, one of the things that they talk about is that employees who have that best friend are much more engaged in their work, and by way of engagement, they're also much more successful in what they do. And of course, for each of us, when we're more successful, we feel better about the work that we do, we're more energized to do that work and the challenges we all face challenges every day the challenges just don't feel as insurmountable because we know that we have that support network we have that best friend we have the other people that we have relationships with in the workplace you know that we can check in with so when we're when we're struggling when we're having challenges we have somebody we can go to and talk through it with when we're doing well we have somebody to celebrate with one of the things that we do unfortunately poorly in, in the education space is we're always looking for what's the next thing that we move on to. So we have a success. You might, you might be working with a classroom of students and this year, you know, they, they have an amazing amount of growth. Well, rarely do we stop to celebrate that adequately. We move on to what's growth going to look like next year. You might be a bus driver who's built incredible relationships with the kids on your transportation routes, and you know you're feeling really proud of the fact that you have these great relationships. You have this amazing um, student populace on your bus, and you're really connecting with them. And then the school year ends, and next year you've got a completely different group of kids. You're, You're starting all over again, but where we typically Have a big miss is we don't stop to celebrate that success that you had this year in establishing those relationships. For each of us, regardless of what our role is, um, we often don't take the time to stop and celebrate. And so having that best friend at work is also somebody who can help remind you hey, you did an absolutely fantastic job. You know, why don't we take a moment to celebrate that? Why don't we take a moment to reflect on that? And, you know, we all need that. You know, it can't always be making improvements and seeking this sort of forever pathway to infinity of how can i do better how can i do better how can i do better we need to we need to have those opportunities to pause for a moment and say hey i did good this time around Um, i can be proud of the work that i've just recently accomplished so one of the things that leaders often miss in an organization is creating those opportunities for those friendships to develop for those relationships to develop so I know uh, one of the things that I'm looking to be more intentional about this year is helping to support staff throughout the district to have those windows of time to be able to not only work together, but also be able to get together and connect um, and, and have time to build those relationships um, and be able to develop them. And uh, there's a couple of different things that, you know, people have found that make that relationship building more effective in organizations you know one of them is having a culture of honesty having a culture of open communication having a culture of celebration and so those are all things that that you know we have that you know to an extent but those are all things that we're going to endeavor this year to continue to improve and grow upon you know one of one of the really useful leadership tools that's out there is the seven habits of highly effective people you might have heard me talk about it before You might be familiar with it yourself already in the seven habits of highly effective people One of the concepts that is explained is the concept of the emotional bank account and so as we build relationships relationships work a lot like a financial bank account, you know, we make deposits into the relationship and we make withdrawals from the relationship. The more deposits we make, the more of a reserve we have for withdrawals. And so, as we develop our relationships with people, you know, certain things will cause there to be a deposit, and other things will appear as withdrawals. So, the six major deposits that are out there. Um, the first one is really understanding the individual. You know, when we take the time to get to know someone and understand them and know them well, uh, that helps us really kind of align our relationship. So, you know, you might know someone's favorite beverage, you know, their, their favorite coffee from the local coffee shop. Highly recommend Deseo, one of our neighborhood coffee shops. They have some amazing stuff there. But um, you might go to Deseo and, and grab, you know, some sort of frappuccino for a friend because you know that's their favorite drink. It's not bringing them the drink that makes the emotional deposit. It's the fact that you're showing that individual that you care about them enough to know that that's their favorite drink and that's what you're bringing for them. Another concept uh, within the deposits is the notion of attending to little things. And these are just little kindnesses and courtesies. Um, In relationships, sometimes those small kindnesses make a much bigger difference than the large things. So that might be something as simple as, you know, noticing when somebody's having a hard day, um, you know, and being there for them, or um, having an opportunity to reflect with somebody and help give them encouragement, or notice that they're struggling with something and help give them support with that. Um, when, when people are sensitive to others, um, and when they take the time Uh, To be able to connect with them emotionally, that really creates a significant uh, deposit into that emotional bank account. Uh, Keeping commitments is also another critical one, Um, and and this is one where there's two sides of the coin. So, withdraw when you uh, break a commitment, that's a withdrawal. But when you keep a commitment, that's a deposit within that relationship. So, we really need to be cautious when we deal with our friends, and and especially. Uh, someone who might be a best friend—that if we're committing to something, you know, we're confident that we'll be able to fulfill on that commitment. Um, sometimes that can't happen, and I'll talk a little bit about, you know, how the best ways to deal with that might be moving forward. Um, clarifying expectations is also something critical for deposits into that emotional bank account, because when we clarify expectations, we, you know, there's that old expression, "clear is kind." We create that sense of clarity. You know, what are you willing to do and what aren't you willing to do? Where can you help and where can't you help? Where can you be supportive and where where can't you? An example might be someone might need your help or support with something, but you've got a commitment to pick up a child at a certain time after work and they would like you to stay with them. You know, by them understanding, hey, I am here for you 100% and totally focused on anything you need, but you need to know that at this certain time, Every day, I will be leaving because I cannot be late for my child. Helps create that clarified expectations. Then the individual isn't going to think, "Oh, I can ask this person to help me with this during that window of time." Um, showing personal integrity generates trust and is really the basis of a lot of different types of, of deposits. You know, things like honesty, um, things like you know being consistent, things like being trustworthy really, really do help um, when when you're making deposits into that emotional bank account. And then there are times where withdrawals are gonna happen, either intentionally or unintentionally. So we talked about that time where you can't keep a commitment, and that commitment's gonna be broken, and that's gonna be a withdrawal from that emotional bank account. Well, it's that's not insurmountable. The key to that situation is a sincere apology. If you apologize sincerely when you are in a position where you have to make a withdrawal from the emotional bank account, you may be able to reduce the impact of that withdrawal, make it less of a withdrawal, or even undo the withdrawal altogether because that level of honesty and openness continues to help build that relationship with you. So, you know, the emotional bank accounts, just one concept out of seven habits of highly effective people, It's probably something that we'll come back to again um, it's, it's a great section within the book if you, if you have the time to take a look at it. Um, and it really does, following those concepts and those notions really do help to ensure that you're building strong, healthy relationships that can not only last for a long time, but provide strong levels of support and connection. So having this best friend at work clearly is going to not only improve your quality of life, Improve your impact and effectiveness in the job you're doing, which is going to have a positive impact on your students. But exhibiting those positive relational aspects is also going to provide solid modeling for your students. Um, and in that modeling for your students, it's going to help them develop the skill sets that they need to build those strong and healthy relationships. You'll even see those strong and healthy relationships start to build within your classroom, which, which can genuinely help with you know, some of the challenges that we're facing in our classroom today. It's not a panacea. It's not going to immediately make all of the challenges um, with student discipline, student uh, behavior, whatever whatever we want to label it as. But it does have those students getting to a point where they're having those relationships really can have a positive impact on the classroom environment. So there is also, you know, whether you're Support staff in the cafeteria, or you're the crossing guard, or you're a teacher in a classroom, um, or one of our special area teachers, helping to, to grow students into developing those skill sets really is beneficial in a lot of ways. It'll be beneficial to their life experience, it'll be beneficial to their positive feelings and their success in the school, the learning environment, and in their life. Um, but it will also help them be more resilient because they'll be able to build these relationships that will help them as they have struggles and challenges. And a lot of times, you know, when we see outbursts or inappropriate behaviors, you know, they're really outgrowths from these struggles, these internal struggles that students are having. So when we give them coping mechanisms um, and the ability to be more resilient, um, that not only improves their quality of life, but it also reduces the amount of impact that they're having negatively on the quality of life of others. And so, you know, creating opportunities in your classroom for students to connect and engage in a positive and healthy way, I think is really positive. But, you know, out, outside of that, there's other places where that can happen. So, you know, if you're a duty aide who's working with kids during recess or at lunchtime or after school or before school, you know, there's always opportunities there as well. I know one of the things that we do in Creighton is we work with um, Playworks and they try to provide students, you know, with healthy ways to play together, with the skill sets to be able to deal with conflict during play. And, you know, some of those tool sets really are helpful to prepare students to be able to have strong relationships because it prevents a lot of those withdrawals from the emotional bank account, you know, with their playmates and other students. So um, but things that we can do as adults as we're interacting with kids both to model those healthy behaviors those healthy relationships how we build and sustain and maintain those relationships but even directly with students working with them to create those spaces and opportunity and it doesn't mean that you have to abandon um, the other activities that are needing to happen in that moment whether that's you know the, the English language arts learning opportunity or the math learning opportunity or the opportunity out on the play field or the opportunity getting safely home after school, um, but it can really be effectively integrated, you know, into the way that you are having students work together and interact together. And so as we as adults work to strengthen our effectiveness in building and maintaining our relationships, it gives us also the skill sets and the resilience. To be able to work with our students to help them develop those same skill sets. So having that best friend at work, that is a key strategy to building resilience um, for each of us as adults. Um, but it's also a key strategy to put us in a position to practice the skill sets that we need and the relational behaviors that we need to be successful in growing and strengthening our adult relationships, while at the same time putting us in a position to able to model those quality behaviors for kids and be intentional about the opportunities that we create for our students um, for their interaction with each other and to be honest beyond that even our families for their interaction with each other And when we have cafecitos and um, other gatherings you know uh, even through our ptos with uh, carnivals and after school fairs any opportunities that we can create for our families to connect with and work with each other in building healthy relationships is going to benefit the strength and the positive energy of our community that's only going to have a positive impact on learning and a positive impact on the work environment that we come to every day. So thank you for giving me a few minutes um, out of your morning or afternoon or whenever you're listening to this um, to listen in on some concepts around having a best friend at work. And we will be back um, shortly with another episode of Conversational Leadership with J-Man. Thanks again and have a wonderful week.